0: This morning scripture reading will be taken from 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 through 8. 2nd Timothy 4 6 through 8 that can be found on page 1058 in your pew bibles. I'll be reading from the new American standard version. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Philip has already mentioned several good things that have happened this past weekend with the fruit baskets and the hot chocolate giveaway, and a lot of people have helped with those, but those are are both tremendous ministries that are deacon-led, as most of our ministries around here are. And then that reminds us of the announcement that Griff made earlier of additional uh, deacons being added and ministries and and then uh, you can pick up, there is a handout that is available in the foyer and in the bulletins and it will give you a lot of insight and gratitude to a few deacons that are stepping down but also uh, you can hang on to uh, the list there to see the ones that uh, are being considered by you uh, to see if they're uh, scripturally qualified and I want to encourage you to be praying about this and I want to encourage you uh, to realize that time we talk about adding leaders to the Lord's church, that is a very serious time in uh, the life of a congregation when that's happening. And so uh, be mindful of it, be prayerful, and we pray that God's will will be done in all of this. When we think about other things that have happened this weekend, uh, we had our Pioneer Conference, which was our second annual Pioneer Conference. It began Friday night and then was Saturday morning. And um, over 70 joined online about 90 something came in person uh, from six different states Uh, some a minister or two drove in from colorado uh, from oklahoma kentucky arkansas of course tennessee alabama Uh, it's really uh, amazing how many folks were there and a part of that day uh, was our high schoolers that participate in this great ministry Uh, made themselves available for a panel discussion. And it really was encouraging to hear uh, them answer the questions to these adults that have driven from all over. And uh, I wish every one of you could have heard uh, their heart to see souls, their heart to bring souls to the Lord. Uh, i wish you could hear the success stories of how many of their friends that they've brought to the lord and how many even sitting there were once welcomed by this group but now they are a part of the group it it really really is amazing glory be to god but it really really is amazing and so uh, we appreciate philip and uh, his passion uh, to lead our youth in a way that is closer to god uh, his passion to make sure that that uh, every age here is concerned uh, about another soul coming and uh, being saved, and it, it truly I look forward to to some time when we can spend more time uh, learning from them uh, in in those particular endeavors. also, we want to remind you that in January uh, we will begin a, another new session of Recovery Through Christ. If you have struggles in your life that are controlling your life and you'd like to put those behind you, or if you want a closer relationship with God, you simply want to grow, this is a wonderful, proven ministry. It will begin January the 7th. It's on Thursday evenings from 7 to 9 o'clock. And it truly is a blessing. Here's the challenge. If you don't know whether or not it's for you, come four Thursday nights and if you'll give it a try for four thirsty nights you will probably find out that already there has been tremendous growth just in those four thirsty nights and so be thinking about that uh, be praying about that also be inviting others that would benefit from that uh, we'll try to send out notification to the community uh, each time this helps a lot of people not just within our congregation but even in the community, uh, but be aware of that and let's let's encourage that good work in any way that we can. Here we are the last month of the year, that's kind of hard to believe and we think about this theme of great expectations and this final plea is that God expects you and I to end victorious. And we ought to celebrate that. We ought to love the fact that this earth is not our home, that we're passing through and there is something waiting for us that is just beyond imagination and that everything we do now is in view of everything that is to come. I think about the old baseball joke of the two fellas that they love playing baseball, then they coached baseball and and then they watched it late in their life and and they were in their 90s and Joe, Joe died. But he came back in a vision uh, a few nights later to Henry in his sleep and he said, Henry, he said, I got two things I can tell you about heaven. He said, one is good news and one's bad news. And and, uh, Henry said, well, tell me, what is it? What is it? He says, the good news is there's baseball in heaven. Henry's elated. He's like, that's so good. He said, well, what's the bad news? He said, you're pitching tomorrow night. (laughs) Well. That's the way the joke goes, but I wanna ask you, why is that bad news? If you and I had the opportunity to be in heaven tomorrow, why is that bad news? I'm not talking about the survivors. The Bible speaks of the fact that survivors will always grieve. That's a good thing to grieve. As a matter of fact, we'll come back tonight and we'll study tonight about grieving well. But this morning we're talking about you Spending an eternity with God, how is that negative? How is that something to dread? Or is it that we don't understand it? Is it that we're not secure in it? Why is it that we would think if the Lord came this afternoon, that would be a bad thing? As Christians, our prayer should be that the Lord would come this afternoon because truly, the Lord coming will be the greatest day in the life of a Christian. So what do you say? When we think about famous last words, I don't know if it's true, but it's supposedly true. General John Sedgwick, a union commander during the civil war rode his horse in front of his troops. Speaking about the enemy, his last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. That was the last thing he said. Let me tell you the last thing that some other religious people have said. These are the last words of religious men. Earth is rescinding. Heaven is nearing. God is calling me home. Another one's last words were, glory, glory, dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Another said, see in what peace a Christian can die another said sweet indeed is the rest which Christ giveth those are sharp contrast to Edward Gibbon who was a philosopher and an infidel and in his last words he said all is now lost finally irrevocably lost all is dark and doubtful we've just had read for us some of the last thoughts of Paul I'm not suggesting to you that immediately after he wrote these he died immediately but he wrote these believing that death was very very near as a matter of fact by way of inspiration we don't have any other words after this second timothy the fourth chapter that paul wrote and what we see here is we see a man who's able for example in second timothy four and six to say for i am already being poured out as a drink offering notice the tense there i'm already being poured out this is really a a usage of of an Old Testament sacrifice that really challenges scholars to say exactly what did he mean by this? Now listen, we can back up and get the broad principle and understand it, I think, with no doubt. And so I'm not leaving you to say, here he is and we don't even know what he's saying. But you know, there, there can become some very technical questions. When he's saying that he's being poured out, is he only referring to his death? I don't think he is, but there are some that believe that. And, and what I want you to note is that twice he uses this type of language. Look back, if you will, to Philippians. In Philippians, the second chapter is the other time that he uses this same language. And he says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, now notice, this drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, he's talking to the people of Philippi, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. You see, what's interesting to note is that the drink offering was always an additional offering. There would be the sacrifice and there would be the offering on the altar. But then the drink offering was this additional sacrifice that was poured. So when he writes it in Philippians, the second chapter, he's literally saying i look at your life philippian brethren i look at your life and i see the sacrifice you've made remember romans 12 and verse 1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice you see that's the language now he's looking at the people of Philippi, and he says you're doing that your life is a living sacrifice And he says, you know how I see my interaction with you? Because Paul was a great encourager to the people of Philippi. He was the one that came and first taught them. He constantly interacted with them. And he says, I see your life of sacrifice. And he says, I see my life involving with yours. And I'm just like an additional drink offering that's just being poured on top of yours. And he says, that brings me great joy. And then he also said here that he believed that it brings them great joy. But now let's go back to this thought in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. If he is already being poured out as a drink offering, could it be that if you were starting to pour out a drink offering and under the old covenant, there was a specific measurement of this drink offering? And so let's just say in our modern terms that some would say the drink offering was around a gallon of wine now let's use some common sense here Paul has been using his life throughout his life since he's become a Christian pouring out his life as a sacrifice well eventually you're going to look from the container you're pouring and what are you going to say I've almost poured it all out I believe that's why Paul says for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I don't have much more to pour out. Some scholars, and I love this thought, some scholars have even said it was almost like Paul saying to Nero, hey, if you wanna kill me, you better do it pretty quickly because I'm coming physically spent. I may die before you actually execute me. In other words, Paul's looking at his life and it's almost as if he says, if you execute me, I know that's coming pretty soon if you don't execute me i know i'm getting weak i know i'm an aged man and either way i am about finished being poured out that's a beautiful thought so then we say okay if you're going to die well you have to live well and so what is a life that's being lived well With someone whose life is continually being poured out there's a continual sacrifice day to day to god in service to others but then when we come to verse seven i'd like for you to notice here that he mentions three things about this life that's being poured out he says and i'd like for you to notice the article the here he says i have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is a description of his life. It would be egotistical if Paul would have used the word A. (laughs) Look at me. I'm telling you, I've lived this life, and boy, look at me. I have fought a good fight. He's not saying, I've evaluated myself and wow, I am doing amazing. That's not what he's saying. Remember Matthew the 12th chapter when Jesus taught, he that is not with me is against me and he that does not gather with me scatters abroad. What's that teaching? We can either be on the side of Christ Or we can be on the side that is an enemy to Christ. There's no middle ground. And Paul closes his life by saying, I decided to devote my life to the good fight. Still late in his life. Now, are you listening? Late in his life, he's able to look back and say, this was the right decision to make it's as if he's saying I am thankful that I have chosen the good fight think how many people get toward the end of their life and their life is full of regrets they say, I didn't I didn't make the right decision I never even served the Lord I never gave my life to anything that matters but to be able to say I'm thankful I made this choice I've chosen the Lord now Notice as he says in the next phrase, I finished the race. But a lot of translations use the word course. I actually like the idea of course better. Most races have a certain course. But notice what the emphasis is. The emphasis on, is on finishing that course. The emphasis is not on can you come in first place. And that's oftentimes what goes through our mind when we think about a race. The emphasis here is not a competition with others. The emphasis is there is a course that the lord has set out and i have finished i have stayed on that course throughout my life and i'm going to end there what does that course look like the sermon on the mount makes a quick reference it's in brevity but it makes a reference to it you remember he talked about one particular course that we could live on and he says it's a broad course and he says as a matter of fact there's an entrance every pathway ends up somewhere and he says it even has a wide gate and he says many will there be that will go through that wide gate and you say well what's on the other side of that gate now this is is all jesus teaching jesus says it's destruction on the other side of that gate but then he says there is another course and he says that way is called difficult and he says it has a narrow gate And once you pass through the narrow gate, he says, that is life, eternal life. And he says, few there be that find it. Paul, what are you thankful about right now? And he says, I'm thankful that even though this course has been very difficult, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even though this course has been very difficult, I'm thankful that I have stayed on this course. I've chosen the side that is the good fight. I'm gonna choose Jesus. And I know that it's not going to be easy and it's difficult. And I'm gonna choose that course and I'm gonna finish in that course. And then finally he says, and I have kept the faith. It's almost like he used two analogies or metaphors and then finally he just drops back and says the third one, I just wanna give you just spiritual language. Faith is important, not any faith. I've kept the faith. Ephesians four, we have the seven ones. And in verse five, we have three of the seven ones. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Faith, Romans 10, 17, comes by hearing the word of God. Here, Paul is saying, that system of belief that reveals the will of God to me I have kept it, and the idea of keep here is to have open eyes, it's the idea to guard, and it is the idea to cling or hold fast to. And so he's saying, I learned that faith, and I've submitted to that faith. All of this was language of preparation. Preparing for what? What? Well, let's go back to verse six. On the next slide, we see these same passages, but just a highlight. And I'd like for you to notice, he says at the end of verse six, the beginning, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of what? The time of my departure is at hand. You see, the reason he could feel good about this time of departure is because he had continually throughout his life made himself a sacrifice that was being poured out. He chose the Lord, the good fight. He chose the course and he stayed on it to the end. He chose to submit to God and allow the Lord to be the Lord and him be in subjection to him, and that's the faith that he kept. But what about this departure? This blows my mind, but there are a few scholars that call this a metaphor. When service is over today, I'd like for you to metaphorically depart from this building. What if we said that? What, you'd be sitting there saying, does that mean we're not really gonna leave? But like, what are we supposed to do with that? Listen, there's nothing metaphorically about death being a departure. Death is a departure. We're going to leave this earth. The physical body, there's nothing more than a tent of our soul the tent is going to be dissolved we are going to depart there is a theological truth to the essence of i'll fly away we are not staying here at home in the body and so he knows he's lived his life in view of the fact that he's leaving this earth. All of this is understood in view of departure. Well, where is he going? Later on this month, I do want us to spend some time studying specifically about heaven. So this morning, I'm not trying to rob the beauty of a study when we talk about dying well, you know, we'd have to say, well, we've got to study about the beauty of heaven if we're gonna die well. We will, we just can't get it all in one lesson, but let's stay with this text drop down with me in verse 8 and notice the immediate thing he talks about in his departure in verse 8 he says finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day See, he's talking about this specific day of judgment and not to me only but also to all who love his appearing He says, listen, when we depart from here, we're not gonna go just immediately into heaven. He says, first thing we've got to do is we've got to meet the Lord for the first time. When we meet the Lord, what's that gonna be? It's gonna be the day of judgment. And he said, on that day, I'm gonna look forward to meeting the Lord because the Lord is going to crown me with a crown of righteousness. Now you say, is that all Paul is living for? There's something so valuable about this crown. That's like, I gotta have that crown no it's 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 that that crown represents that the victory's been won we die well when we die victorious in jesus i know that some of you appreciate this and others maybe won't and and i'm sorry if i can't get some kind of application but that that all of us would appreciate but i want you to imagine being in a gathering uh, of a lot of of professional football players and others that just love the game and fans and and all and then I want you to imagine that a certain time there's an announcement made and said, We want everyone that has the gold jacket, the Hall of Famers, to come down. And anybody that enjoys the NFL, you, you couldn't help but say, Wow, look at that group right there. That's the elite group. That's the ones that they have been awarded. They've been crowned to be allowed to be a part of this group. And in this particular group, you have to be considered one of the greatest players that have ever played the game. I'm not saying it's a competition between you can make it and I can't make it. That's not at all the picture of heaven. But what I'm wanting you to see is when Paul says, I'm looking forward to that crown. He says, I want that crown that says, I belong here. That crown that says, by the grace of God, I have achieved victory in Jesus. The gold medal that an Olympic athlete wears The worth of it is not just, what's the worth of that tangible piece of metal? The worth is what it communicates. Look what has been awarded. Paul says, I have lived my life being poured out. I chose the side of the Lord and I have stayed on that course and I have protected that faith so that I would remain submissive to him in everything. And I know, I'm leaving. I'm departing. And I look forward to it because I know him. He's gonna give me a crown of life. And then Paul says, and you understand this isn't exclusive. He's gonna give it to everyone who looks forward to his appearing. And let that sink in. As we began this morning, I said, if the Lord came this afternoon Would you be glad with that? There's a lot of people that don't look forward to the appearing of the Lord because they know that they're not living for the Lord. It's impossible to die well if you haven't lived well. Victory is described in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible on resurrection and he talks about death in 1 Corinthians 15 to 55. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? When we don't understand the purpose of our life and we don't understand eternity, we don't understand the Lord and salvation We look at the sting of death and it is harsh because it seems to communicate that all is lost and all is over. And yet we learn of Jesus and we learn not only of his death, but we learn of his resurrection and we learn of what's offered through him to us. And we can cry out as it says in 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the last slide and i want you to look at this little almost like a little timeline here a little picture and we close with this i'd like for you to think about you know this isn't to scale because if the right side was eternity and the left side was life you wouldn't even be able to see the dot of life because because life is a vapor james says and he's not saying it's a vapor because he's comparing it to earthly things it's a vapor because he's comparing it to eternity and he says Life's a vapor. It's it's just here for a little while. But we we will die. We will leave this earth. And then the question is, what about all the rest? I want to challenge you, if you're a Christian, examine your language, examine your faith, examine your heart. Do you speak of death in similar ways that the world speaks of death? And if so, it's kind of scary about your faith, isn't it? Because in the scriptures, death is spoken of as a beautiful victory that lies beyond it for those that belong to the Lord. But for those that don't, it is a feeling that all is lost. I hope that as grandparents not just in our death but in our life we show our grandchildren how to die well I hope as a church family that we celebrate victories not ignoring the deep grief of survivors but that we celebrate victories because when everything is said and done the only thing that matters is that we are victorious with the lord for eternity we're about to sing a song of encouragement if there's anything that we can do to help you move closer to the lord if there's anything we can do to help you have victory in jesus If there's anything we can do to help you view life, but view eternity and view life through the lenses of eternity through the Lord. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you need to be restored or if there's any further study, please, please understand that if we are who God wants us to be, the best, by far is yet to come. And to live with that in mind brings powerful hope.